From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and Happy New Year. We here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show are honored that you're joining us today. Whether you're on the U.S. West Coast sipping a cup of coffee in Arizona, where our guest and I are, the East Coast thinking about lunch, in Europe ending your workday, you're somewhere in between, or you're listening to the archive of the show, I know you'll be glad you joined us for the show. If you're listening to the archive in 2016 or later, you'll be able to look back and see how this show might have helped you by listening in January of 2015. On the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building your wealth. Today, we'll focus on the future, specifically what we can expect to happen in the world financial markets during 2015. Our guest is someone you should know, especially since today will be his fourth appearance on the Wealth DNA Radio Show. If you missed the prior shows with H.L. Quist, I'm sure you'll want to go back and listen to those shows after hearing him today. I'll keep my introductory comments short since we have a lot to cover on what will 2015 bring. Now, a recent survey you may find useful and amusing, as I did, especially if you live in the U.S., results of the Gallup survey of the most important problem facing the U.S. in 2014. So every respondent picked one problem. Now, if you search for that phrase on the Internet browser, and again, the phrase is most important problem facing the U.S. in 2014, you should be able to find the entire list of problems. If not, contact me via the website or send me an email and I'll forward it to you. For the sake of uh, time, I'll just cover the top six. Number six, the federal deficit and debt, with 6% of respondents citing that as the top problem. Number five, immigration. Number four, health care, number two, unemployment and jobs, which I would have thought was number one, number two, the economy in general, and now the number one problem facing the U.S. in 2014, government, Congress, politicians, and that with 18% of respondents citing them as the top problem. Now, I'd like to add that the minimum wage was not in the top 12 problems reviewed. Well, at least the ones I reviewed, there's a list of probably 30 or 40, but I reviewed the top 12 pretty th- thoroughly to understand what was going on. So raising the minimum wage, like making community colleges free, may be misguided solutions searching for a problem to solve. Maybe the U.S. would be better served if the president focused on these top six problems. Just saying. I like to start each show by sharing a couple of quotes to set this tone for the show's topic. Very often it's just one quote, but since we're gazing into a crystal ball today, I decided to use not one, but three quotes, and that's a record for me. The first to explain why we do this forecasting periodically. The second to show why our guest is well qualified to help us foresee the future. And third, we'll help prepare you for some of the topics we'll discuss today. Are you ready? First quote, my interest is in the future because I'm going to spend the rest of my life there. Let me repeat that. My interest is in the future because I'm going to spend the rest of my life there. That quote is attributed to C.F. Kettering. Now, the second one, the best qualification of a prophet is to have a good memory. 
Let me repeat that one again. The best qualification of a prophet is to have a good memory. That quote is attributed to the Marquis of Halifax. Now, the third, which again, to prepare you for some of the things we'll talk about today, some things are so unexpected that no one is prepared for them. Let me repeat that one. I think it's an extremely important one. Some things are so unexpected that no one is prepared for them. That quote is attributed to Leo Rostin in Rome Wasn't Burned in a Day. Now, I always appreciate your feedback on the quote, so let me know if they were helpful in preparing the soil, which if you're a regular listener and have a good memory, that is the P.S., in the, in the D for Wealth DNA, preparing the soil. I will be covering more detail in the upcoming book on uh, Wealth DNA and also periodically on our shows when we deal with that D, which stands for desire. The first uh, the, the points I wanted to just kind of uh, share on those quotes that I brought, uh, brought up there, what has passed we can't change, but we need to prepare for the rest of our life, which, by the way, starts today. So forecasting is important. The second quote, to understand the future, we need to understand and analyze past events, historical as well as recent events, including some that may seem totally unrelated. Our guest today is a historian, studied and written about the details of all economic cycles during his lifetime. Now, the third one, some of the hardest things to forecast are often referred to as black swan events, which rarely occur, or events that seem to come out of nowhere. So be prepared for discussion that will not be about how recent trends will just continue into 2015. And as listeners of the Wealth DNA Radio Show know, you'll be far better prepared than 7 billion people around the world wondering what happened. Now, today is January, Monday, I should add, Monday, January 12th, 2014. It is 9.05 a.m. in Arizona, 11.05 a.m. on the U.S. East Coast, the only day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday. It is 9 at 9 a.m. in Arizona. If you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you should connect with us on Twitter or Facebook, where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald, all one word, single word. We'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share this information with you. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show like the prior ones with H. Elquist, you can find them on the archives. Just go to www.wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, we welcome your comments and uh, questions during the show. I recommend using the chat window below the radio player, or you can call in. Our producer will share your question or comment with us. That call-in number, 917-388-4162. That is also shown at the top of the Internet screen. Since our last show, the equity markets, uh, U.S. equity markets, I should add, reached four more record highs, then dropped for five sessions and rebounded. So if you paid no attention to stock prices since... They're just about where they were during our last show. The U.S. equity markets today are off to a negative start. Asia was mixed. Europe is mixed following the murders in Paris, and Brazil is down. Our special guest to discuss what will 2015 bring is H.L. Quist. He's an author, historian, investment advisor representative at Dynamic Wealth Advisors, a lifelong athlete, and, by the way, also known as the Mythbuster. 
although he wasn't born in Arizona, he's lived in Arizona more years than 95% of the state's population. H.L. Quist has over 40 years' experience in financial services as a registered representative and also as an investment advisor representative. Mr. Quist was also involved in real estate development for 10 years and has been teaching a real estate continuing education course for over 20 years. Let's give a warm radio welcome to H.L. Quist. Welcome back, H.L. Happy New Year, and thank you for joining us today. Ron, thank you for a great introduction. That's <laughs> that's a good jumping-off point. <laughs> great. Now, I gave a br- uh, brief introduction. Uh, how do you introduce your, yourself at a cocktail party? You probably give a shorter version, right? Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, when you're stuck with a nickname all your life, uh, Buster, you know, it's, if it's an informal group, I use Buster. But if it's mm-hmm. people I don't know, I use HL. And I use mm-hmm. HL in, you know, most of my writings, my my uh, signature on, on, the, uh, on my books and so forth is HL. So when you mm-hmm. Google me, just uh, make sure you Google HL and not Buster. <laughs> Correct, correct. Because most of the most of the uh, the uh, official stuff will show up that way, but uh, MythBuster will show up as well. By the way, yes, I know it does. Yeah. Now, before I knew you, unfortunately, before I knew you, you warned of the housing and banking crisis and plenty of time to exit real estate and mortgage investments. Would you share what information you were seeing back in two thousand five or two thousand six that others missed? Well, you know, uh, Ron, I probably, I tracked 14 boom and bust cycles since 1971, you know, in all my classes and so forth and in my writings. And this probably was the most obvious, the most blatant, uh, you know, change that was coming, but uh, people couldn't see it. The more parabolic the move in real estate became, uh, the less people were inclined to think that it would end, you know. Uh, But... Uh, tracing the boom and bust cycles, this was a, uh, a massive one, and and I've called accurately every uh, every boom and bust since 1987, which was kind of a, a pivotal point for me because I sold a, a, a chunk of real estate uh, just before the crash in 1989. So that and, and I sold out of the the stock market in 1987 before the crash. So th- <clears throat> that kind of was my jumping off point as far as being really involved uh, in 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 the business and understanding the cycles. But uh, you know, I called the crash in the in the real estate market before Robert Schiller did, and I had that seminar in July 2005, which was. Uh, telling uh, real estate people and investors to downsize now and securitize your future because I I knew it was coming. But going back further than that, uh, when uh, Ben Bernanke, who was then vice chairman of the Fed, gave his talk to analysts in New York City in October of 2002, that was his famous helicopter speech where he Mm -hmm. said, uh, you know, we can always drop $100 bills from helicopters. I knew that the Federal Reserve had cooked up a plan to just flood the market with money. And, of course, their plan, the Greenspan plan, was to uh, uh, lower interest rates to a point where people would refinance their home. And, of course, that beginning that began the, uh, the refi where people would take the money out of their home, the ATM, and, uh, and spend it. Because that's what they wanted to do is get the consumer to start spending money. I also knew that uh, Glass-Steagall had been uh, uh, the bill that was enacted in 1934 to prevent banks from uh, doing leverage deals and uh, and, and speculative assets. Uh, I knew that uh, Franklin Rain was, was cooking the books at Fannie Mae uh, as early as 2004, 
and and what we saw then was a, a combination, a, a troika of uh, Fed monetary policy, uh, congressional action to repeal and enact legislation and the quota system and so forth for housing. Mm-hmm. And then the most important ingredient was the uh, popular delusions and the madness of crowds. That's the mania or the emotional aspect of, get, you know, creates bubbles and creates manias, uh, going back to the, the, the tulip mania in Holland, you know, and in the uh, 16th century. But uh, that's what caused and created the, the parabolic move. It was obvious, and all parabolic moves uh, end badly. Okay, so uh, so trends don't always continue is a key message. I want to make sure our listeners hear in that they last never, portion. They, 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 always disc- they always end. Okay. Yeah, all cycles end. <laughs> now, I, I met you in 2008. It was uh, October, as I recall. You were the only one predicting real estate would recover, and you said the equity markets would return to their peaks in three years. I later joked that you were way off. And as a matter of fact, on this show, I mentioned you're way off. It took four years, not three, uh, almost exactly four. Your logic was compelling. So I was 95% invested in those two asset classes uh, when the market bottomed. Again, uh, all the doomsayers were missing it late in 2008 as the market it was uh, heading down. Uh, what was it they were missing that you were seeing? Well, you know, I, I got to be very, very careful what I say on your program, Ron, because okay. you, you you catalog all my re- all, all my answers and so forth. You do a fantastic job, which is great for your audience. I mean, it's just super because most people just go on, you know. Oh, did I say that? Well, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean that right. type thing, but. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, when you looked at the fact that a bank like Goldman Sachs was, or excuse me, Goldman Sachs, uh, was taking $40 billion from TARP, and what did they do with the money? <laughs> they put it in Trade the stock it. market. <laughs> sure. Know? So, I mean, the signal was there for, for everybody to see, but, you know, when markets are booming, uh, people think they'll never end. Mm-hmm. And when they crash, like they did in 2008, they they think that it'll never get better. It's just you know human psychology is absolutely unbelievable. And you know that was we were at the bottom. And if Goldman was uh, investing forty billion dollars in the stock market, well, that was a, a clear signal to me that uh, we should be too. Okay. Now let's take the flip side. Uh, you okay. had said the amount of money being printed, the U.S. dollar would weaken, and we should see inflation like we did in the 1970s. And again, your logic was sound. I was right behind you. T- totally had to agree, having lived through that time period. But it hasn't happened. Why not? Well, here's what we learned. And, okay. uh, you know, uh, uh, I subscribe sometimes to conventional wisdom. But here's what I learned, and we should all learn from that is since the dollar was the world reserve currency and the, the U.S. could print an, virtually an unlimited amount of money in the, in the quantitative easing program and uh, the ZERP policy, the zero interest rate policy, and mm-hmm. not have inflation. You know, what we've seen is a strengthening dollar, which, of course, it keeps a lid on inflation. So that's why we have not had uh, a, uh, a rise in inflation. In fact, the, the Fed Reserve now is doing everything they can to create inflation because deflation is taking hold all over the world. Okay, so obviously back in the 1970s, some other things must have been causing it because we also see some money, saw some money printing, and that was what uh, what struck me as it was deja vu all over again. Okay, now. 
during this Great Recession, uh, the Fed, um, you know, was was buying up uh, fixed income investments primarily from the banks, and the banks stopped lending. We now see about 1.6, and I haven't checked that in a number of months, so it may be higher. 1.6 trillion dollars of money printed that was printed is now sitting on bank excess reserves. Now, for our listeners, I want to make sure it's clear: I didn't mean reserves. I mean excess reserves above the reserve requirement. It's never happened in the past before. Now we have $1.6 trillion. Is it likely when banks ramp up lending that inflation starts uh, ticking up again? Well, I think there's some other dynamics that are at work here. Either one reason why the banks did not were not anxious to to loan to small businesses and so forth. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, companies like uh, uh, Apple. I mean, they've bought four. Forty billion dollars at one percent, or some unbelievable rate. But mm-hmm. the if if the banks left those deposits on 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 deposit with the Federal Reserve, the Fed paid them a quarter of a uh, twenty five mm-hmm. basis points, or a quarter of a percent of interest. So they could leave that money there and uh, not have any risk and and make uh, twenty five basis points. So that was the main reason why they didn't in, invest. And of course. Were, were a lot of banks, J.P. Morgan, Ally, and, and a whole bunch of banks, Santander and what have you, uh, they're putting a tremendous amount of money in car loans because uh, particularly subprime, they're making 15 20% on subprime car loans. And uh, over that, that market has now grown to a billion dollars and uh, over $200 million in the past two years. And you take a company like Ally uh, Financial, and you, you've mm-hmm. seen their, their crazy ads on TV, but Ally Financial now has 8.4% of their car loans, uh, subprime car loans, are now in default and on loans that have made within the past year. And, and okay. uh, for people in our audience that don't know who Ally is, that formerly that company was formerly GMAC General Motors yep. Acceptance Corporation that went bankrupt in 2008 making subprime loans to in automobiles deja vu all over again deja vu all over again yeah Hey, Buster, before we dig into more details, uh, would you share with our listeners how they'd contact you, learn more about the MythBuster, maybe follow up with uh, with some of your predictions throughout the year? Uh, what's the best way to do that? Well, the, the, the blog site, is the, the, uh, uh, the address is, is too long, so the best mm-hmm. thing to do is just to Google HLQuist, Q-U-I-S-T, and then you'll see uh, the MythBuster, and it'll take you to the blog site. And you'll see all my podcasts and all seminars and so forth are archived there so people could access that. And if they want to contact me, the best way is to use my personal uh, email address, which okay. is hlquist at cox.net. Okay. Excellent. All right. Now, before jumping into the year ahead, let's recap some of what happened in 2014. Last year, you predicted the U.S. equity markets would rise about 10%. Uh, you were right on. You said Europe would not do well, although Euro could appreciate. How did Europe actually do? Well, I think Europe, the European Union as a whole, is in a funk. Uh, mm-hmm. their, their debt levels are just uh, suffocating the economy. Uh, they have no GDP growth. Uh, we just learned that uh, the EU, the European Union, reported a deflation of 0.2% uh, for the month of, uh, I think it was November. So the economy is going uh, downward, 
And, of course, there's a lot of talk. The reason why we had that big rally this uh, uh, past week was that, uh, 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 what's his name, Super Mario Draghi, uh, the head of the ECB, the European Central Bank, uh, has been talking about a stimulus program, and uh, they're going to have to do something. Now, particularly with Greece, uh, you know, having a special election on the 25th, uh, and the, the far-left Syriza party could win, uh, the possibility that Greek would uh, Greece would uh, uh, depart from the euro is certainly their plan is to uh, default on the IMF and the ECB debt. Uh, that's mm-hmm. going to create additional problems. But Europe is 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 really stagnating, and that I think is a good test of the failure of uh, Keynesianism. And uh, but you have to ask the question: Why is Super Mario? What's he waiting for? I mean, all the numbers are obvious that uh, they're going into real deflationary uh, contraction, which means uh, the debt doesn't get paid when that happens. Okay. And the only hope is as as the euro is uh, sinking, their exports get a little bit cheaper. So uh, hopefully that that helps them a little bit. Well, there is another solution. There's another solution that we'll get into uh, uh, a little later because it's it's the biggest event of our lifetime. And that's what our listeners should really take some notes on because that is the that's the big solution that's coming because they know they know that the uh, uh the banking system the BIS the Bank of International Settlements and the monetary system globally is now run its course it's obsolete and there is a plan to replace the existing system so we'll get into that a little bit Oh, you may have touched on why Mario is not hurrying to do what that's he's doing. Maybe he's exactly another solution. Exactly, that's, that's exactly uh, what my thinking was. Okay, but before we leave this topic on Greece, I actually wrote about three years ago they should leave the euro. They should have let him go. Uh, that would have also woke up the other countries. So somebody Googles my name in Greece, you will find that article. Now, on uh, China, you said there'd be problems in real estate and the banking system, and those have started to surface. On Japan, you felt it was a good test case for Keynesianism. Well, that's a tough one to say. Uh, how about Keynesianism, I guess, would work, too, uh, that it doesn't work. How do you assess Japan now a year later? Well, I think, uh, and I've said this many times, I may have said it the last time we talked, is that that uh, uh, the Abe program of, of trying to stimulate a, uh, an economy that has been over 20 years in a deflationary uh, contraction uh, is that uh, they were going uh, all out on kinesiism and money printing, and uh, it may have helped their, uh, their exports, but it hasn't helped the domestic market anyway. People are still sitting on their hands and not spending money. Uh, and I, I think that, that it's important for us to watch what happens in Japan because I think it's going to exhibit the, the failure of the Keynesian concept of uh, spending uh, deficit spending, and it, it's, it's going to fail. Okay, and interesting that we talked about both uh, Europe and uh, Japan, and both are shrinking markets demographically over the long term. So that doesn't help that uh, the deficit gets soaked up by fewer and fewer people. Well, you know, one thing in in, in Japan, their debt is 250% right. of their GDP. 250%. You know, it's, where are they going to go? I mean, the, their 30 year bond is under 1%. Okay. Let me remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Now, if you missed some prior shows like the prior ones with H.L. Quist, or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on Wealth DNA. 
wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the show, send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or you can follow The Ronald, all one word, on Twitter or Facebook. Now, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to ask questions. The easiest is to start a chat in the uh, chat window below the radio player or call in 917-388-4162, which is also at the top of the Internet screen. Now, our topic today is What Will 2015 Bring?, which we're discussing with H.O. Quist. He's an author, economic historian, investment advisor representative at Dynamic Wealth Advisors. Now, H.L., for the 2014 U.S. elections, you said that Obama would work hard to have uh, the Democrats control the Senate, keep control. Now, he ultimately failed. Is the resulting gridlock actually good news for the U.S. economy? Well, I, you know, there's kind of a, a myth that uh, says that that's true, that we don't do anything. But, you know, much needs to be done. I, you know, uh, you know us, the, the audience today and, and you and I, uh, obviously tax reform is a, is a major, major issue. Uh, the U.S. could be so much more competitive if it wasn't paying 35% uh, corporate income tax. And of course, we've had uh, increases, uh, capital gains tax. When you when you include uh, uh, the Medicare portion and everything else, is now close to twenty five percent. So uh, I think tax reform. I, I'd love to see them just just shuck the whole uh, uh, tax code and start over and simplify it. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think the the Republicans are going to put tax reform as the number one issue and uh, start working on a new plan e- e- immediately. But I see uh, the year as a, an ugly confrontation between the president using the veto and his executive orders to try to uh, get his measures through. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, Mr. Obama will become the party of no in uh, 2015. Okay, so gridlock is good since they don't do dumb things, but it's bad because they don't do some good things either. Yeah, we have, okay. we have a lot of things to do. One, one thing the Wall Street Journal said this week, Ron, is that uh, there is a $350 billion package uh, for infrastructure, bridges, and highways, and so forth, that right. both the Republicans and the Democrats agree to. The only question is, where in the heck do they get the money? for it. Right. You and I, I think that's that was the game plan. A um, couple more questions about 2014. Precious metals and miners, you suggested waiting to jump in until gold breaches 1180, which I think it did. So far, it hasn't. It, it bounced around, and it, it seems to go on nowhere. Why hasn't it moved up despite the, the supply, demand, imbalance? Is it manipulation? Well, we've talked about manipulation mm-hmm. for years and, and, and how the incentive was at the Federal Reserve to, to keep uh, the price low, particularly after the meteoric rise that we saw in gold go from uh, you know, uh, $700 an ounce in 2009 to $1,900 an ounce. You know, so. But here's what I learned uh, reading Jim Rickards' uh, recent uh, book, The Death of Money. And I didn't know this. I don't think our our listening audience knows that either. But a deal was made, according to Rickards, a deal was made with uh, the U.S. government and China, so that uh, to keep gold down, so that uh, China could uh, increase its reserves uh, at very low prices. And we got that break from 1900 all the way down to a thousand and so forth. And now we've we've muddled around from. 1180 to 1210 or 1215 and so right. forth. And what's happened, according to Rickards, 
is that uh, China has accumulated somewhere between five and 7,000 tons of gold, their government has, because they're the world's largest producer. And when you add their production plus the imports that are recorded through Hong Kong, they've added 1,500 to 2,000 tons per year for the last two or three years. So uh, they have not announced yet how much gold they have, but when they reach the point where they've acquired uh, enough that they can uh, establish the yuan as the world's uh, strongest currency, uh, then uh, gold will continue its meteoric rise. I think it will go to levels that none of us here speaking today will ever even imagine. Okay. Now, there are two topics. Here's my mea culpa. I wasn't smart enough last year to ask two key questions, oil and the U.S. dollar. Were there some indications early in 2014 to foresee that the U.S. dollar would strengthen so much and oil could drop by 50%, which it has? Well, you know, uh, one thing that people miss the obvious is that oil is priced in dollars. The U.S. dollar is still the world's reserve currency. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, that has impacted uh, the oil market. Uh, I know that there were major uh, investment houses like Stansbury and so the others that were, were were advocating the purchase of oil and oil stocks back in the summer, you know, June and July. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that, that turned out to be just a uh, horrible Worst recommendation. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I you know, I didn't focus on that. But, you know, I, I followed the uh, – we've got some oil property in New Mexico in the Permian Basin, so I followed very, very closely – and, you know, the fracking and, and uh, what's going on in North Dakota and so forth, uh, the U.S. became a victim of its own success. I mean, mm-hmm, we're now mm-hmm. producing 9 million barrels of oil a day. So the market just became saturated. And I wasn't focused on it per se, but it, it, the 50% drop was just a, uh, a supply-demand uh, situation. It's a fundamental, you know. Okay. A little bit of OPEC driving a price war so that they can drive out some of those new players uh, in, well, that, that's in that market. Yeah, that's, yeah and, and it could go to $20. I mean, you know, I mean, there's nothing. It's, I think it'll certainly go to $40. Uh, but uh, this whole monetary reset that's coming uh, will change the oil picture, too. Okay. Now, you mentioned an important one, which is the U.S. dollar. Uh, as it strengthens oil, price tends to drop as it's denominated in dollars. That's an important one. But given that a lot of the oil producers, and, and we're talking international as well as in the U.S., of course, have U.S.-denominated debt, does that mean we should be selling all of our holdings and merging markets and uh, the bank equities, who uh, so the banks lend them that money, so they're at risk? Uh, is, what's your recommendation on that? Because that sounds like when I'm, when I'm hearing that, uh, I should be getting out of emerging markets. And banks. Well, you know, we all went to emerging markets because the interest rate was just so much higher, you know, mm-hmm. and there's ETFs and there was funds and so forth. And, but here's, here's the problem, is that there's been so much borrowing by emerging countries and in debt denominated in dollars. So when the dollar strengthened, it means that they have to convert their currency to a – they're losing money. I mean, it, they have to convert much more of their currency to pay the debt service on those dollar-denominated de- notes. So there's, exactly. there's, 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 there's a crisis coming in emerging market debt. And as well, long as we're speaking about oil, you know, mm-hmm. 16% of the junk bonds today are to small-cap oil companies. Okay. And with their revenue dropping, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent, 
there's going to be defaults occurring in the junk bond market also. Yeah, and of course, when their revenue drops that much, their profit drops much faster. Since uh, they, oh, yeah, in essence, sure. they'll be they'll be into negative, uh, they'll be into losses uh, at some Correct. point if they're not already. Uh, so uh, it sounds like banks are also at risk with that. Well, r- banks are at risk, and investment banks are at risk because of the derivatives. Oil mm-hmm. is is a lot of that oil market, particularly on the bullish side, was was caused by people speculating in futures and so forth. And look at all of these, uh, the hedging that was going on, hedging oil at, at uh, $90, uh, some of the producers, right. and now oil at, at uh, 40 I mean, my God, think of the, the, uh, how reverse leverage has impacted those investors that are in that market. I think that is the trigger point. That could be the trigger point that changes the world monetary system. It's that big a deal. Okay, and, and as a matter of fact, uh, of course, the uh, producers are glad they have those hedges in place. The bad news, of course, the airlines have the opposite side of that hedge, and so therefore, airline fares won't drop just because the prices go down because they're sitting on on uh, you know contracts to buy it at ninety bucks. So, a lot of times, our our listeners may not think through those uh, two sided aspects. Well, but glad you mentioned. Yeah, it. all we have to do is go back to the real estate market and the derivatives. Is that a- when AIG ran out of money? They couldn't pay off those guarantees, on, and, and that's going to happen again. And it's just, it's always something different, you know, that creates the crisis. And this happens to be emerging market debt and uh, the uh, the oil loans and 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 the junk bonds. Okay. Now, last year you touched on the IMF proposal to use depositors' money to bail out banks, and as I understand, that was all passed uh, into into laws in various countries, uh, including the U.S. If you're uh, in your recent comments, you talked about an even far more far-reaching, excuse me, idea from the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, for a lot of people that haven't been involved in the international markets. Uh, can you share what that idea is with our listeners? Well, I think that um, uh, the bail-in program, instead of bail-out, the mm-hmm. bail-in program, uh, we, you know, you can refer to it as the Cyprus Bank uh, pro- program, was mm-hmm. really a G20, uh, uh, the G20 nations. Uh, that was their initiative, and they've all signed on okay. to that. In other words, if a bank fails, uh, and they, they, after they use all the bank assets, uh, to uh, pay down the, the debt and so forth and bail out. If, if there's money that is additional money that's due, they're going to use depositor money. That's how they, they recapitalize the banks in Cyprus is uh, they uh, use depositor money. If you had over $100,000 mm-hmm. on deposit, it, it was frozen. They took the money. And that, that's what happened to me at, at personally at, at uh, uh, MF Global. MF Global. Uh, mm-hmm. They froze all our accounts. And then J.P. Morgan came in and attached depositors' investment money. They, oh. they they froze our money. And, of course, it was resolved, but it took two years. We couldn't trade. We couldn't do anything. It was just absolutely uh, unbelievable. But that is an adopted policy right now. And uh, people, if you'll Google Ellen Brown, Ellen has written mm-hmm. just tremendous amount of information about the bail-in program, and it's – it's absolutely uh, ludicrous, but that's what these guys, uh, they know a disaster's coming in the banking business, another one. And uh, what they're going to do is they're going to use depositor money to, uh, to bail the banks out. 
Okay, and by the way, Ellen Brown was a guest on our show. We didn't talk about that specific aspect, but uh, again, our listeners can go back and, and uh, look at that. But okay, what's, so what's the IMF uh, dreaming up these days uh, to solve uh, all the world crises? Well, here's, here's the thing. Um, I think that, that uh, Rickards spells it out in his latest book uh, okay. in, in detail. And uh, what the IMF... Uh, has cooked up is a and all the banks around the world, all the Western banking system have signed on to this deal. Okay. And of course, it was led by Russia and China. The BRICS were the leading uh, company uh, countries to uh, uh, want this to be enacted. And what they're going to create is a new world central bank. That's the program, and they're going to use the special drawing rights or the SDRs, which are used now in global trade. They're going to use that as the global currency. That's going to be the new currency of the world. So the dollar will no longer be the world's reserve currency, and the IMF will be calling the shots. And the International Monetary Fund is, uh, uh, and it's really interesting when you get into the detail on that, and just briefly, is that a Chinese uh, 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 doctor by the name of Dr. Uh, Min Zhu, S Excuse me, M-I-N is the first name. Z-H-U, Dr. Min Zhu, is the master uh, guy, that uh, the architect of the new banking, the new global banking system. So people need to really get into this because this is what's going to change all of our, uh, our lives and our business and our investments. This is the this is this is their bailout plan for the world, and that's what's coming. And it presents tremendous upside opportunities to those people who understand what monetary reset is going to do with real estate assets, the equity markets, and particularly gold and silver. Okay, let me let me ask the, the or not ask, but let me confirm the uh, the easy part first, and then let's make sure we put our arms around this rather big issue. Uh, SDR SDR is special drawing rights, and that's what you're saying is that's what they're using in essence uh, already today to some extent. But you're saying that would replace the U.S. dollar for. Uh, the reserve currency. So the reserve currency would now be a world, somehow, I assume this is a basket of, of currencies or something of that sort, which uh, would become the, uh, the price of oil and those kinds of things. Is that what I'm hearing? That's correct, is that everything would be priced by the IMF through the uh, SDR. In other words, if you were, if a Chinese are tr- doing a trade with the U.S., we'd be working with dollars still. They would be working with yuan or renminbi or whatever, but it would be the the final uh, trade amount and dollar in in currency would be in SDRs rather than in dollars, and that's okay, what so the Chinese some... wanted. That's what the Chinese so... wanted. In the 108 currency tables or whatever I get a day, uh, I would see a new one in there, which would be the dollar per SDR and the uh, renminbi per SDR or whatever. There, there would be, in essence, a another currency which would be paired with all of the others. Yeah, all the countries would keep their individual currencies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the, uh, the the world reserve currency would be the SDR, and that would be the, you know that. That really changes the whole banking system. The Bank of International Settlements in in Switzerland and and ever all of those would be subservient to the new International Monetary Fund. 
All right. Now, given how slowly most big decisions are made, uh, wouldn't we expect this to be something that's still in the works and we're talking about five or ten years from now? Well, you know, you and I agree on that, Ron, is that it's it's amazing how the banksters uh, can uh, uh, delay the inevitable. But but Jim Rickards, who, you know, is the CIA guy that established uh, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the economic analysis program for the CIA and what have you, uh, he says that it's imminent. Uh, he When his book was released last fall, he said it's about six months that this is going to take place. So he's got about three months on his calendar, you know, that before this ends. So um, we just don't know. I I think that what they're waiting for, according to Jim, is waiting for a crisis to trigger it because then people say, well, what's the solution? Give us a solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, they are ready there. The, uh, Dr. Zhu has got the plan all established and ready to go. So they're just waiting for default on the oil derivatives or default on emerging market debt or something else, a terrorist attack on the, you know, the central bank or whatever that uh, will trigger it. Okay, so it could be much like we just talked about a little bit ago, which is the U.S. denominated debt where the emerging markets start collapsing and, and uh, oil producers start collapsing. Bank equities all start going to hell. AIG can't uh, back the FDIC or whatever. They plan to cover all of these uh, uh, these uh, defaults. So what you're saying is a crisis like that, which may already be in, in the works, uh, triggers then they, they pop out with this plan, which is well already well thought through, uh, and they uh, put that plan in place. Yeah, you know, I I didn't see this happening because I my knowledge in of it was the fact that the US had veto power and they have been able to veto just about anything that anything that went this direction before, but then, you know, Rickards uh, recently has indicated that the US has completely signed on on this. You know, the all of Robert Rubin's protégés like Tim Geithner and now Jack Lew, head of the Treasury, and uh, the President Obama, they've all signed hmm. on for the new banking system. Okay, yeah, because it used to be, because IMF is part of the World Bank, used to be that the uh, U.S., uh, in essence, by picking the head of the World Bank, used to be able to veto things, and they were kind of trying to control the IMF, and that got signed off on that, uh, in essence, the IMF would not have a U.S. head, and the U.S. didn't have a lot of say in it. Uh, so it looks like that that has been a progressive yeah, change. Yeah, that's, that's uh, that a major issue that now it, it changes things, yeah. But again, it's hard to fathom. You're saying so the U.S. is kind of uh, signing off on it. China sounds like the architect of this thing. But how about the OPEX and Europe? I mean, they they all likely to go ahead with this? Well, I don't know. Uh, I'm just taking from what Rickards and other sources mm-hmm. are saying is that. Uh, but to you, when you get right down to it, they don't have any choice. Okay. I now, mean, by any it, chance, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, that any chance that they've uh, nicknamed this whole uh, game plan Bush's fault? Well, I don't know how they can. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a, <laughs> I call it the bankster plan. I mean, these are the global. You know, the thing, the thing that's, that our audience needs to understand here is that when the light went on with me is that the players don't change. That's why mm-hmm. they've all signed on. Is that you know when you get right down to it, the people that want control of the global monetary system in this new system, it's going to be the same players. Obviously, China is going to have, and China and Russia are going to have a bigger role. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, and and uh, but they're all signed on because they know 
that all this debt's not going to be paid. I mean, you've got a trillion dollars of student loan debt. You've got a trillion dollars of credit card debt. Now we know we've got a trillion dollars of automobile loans in the United States. That's not going to be paid right. if, if the financial system, if our economy uh, goes into a, uh, a 2008 type of uh, decline. It ain't going to be paid. Got to talk about the effects of this on our on our investments. But before we do that, in case our listeners just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion on the archive. If you missed prior shows, you can find them on the archive as well, wealthdna.us. Today, our guest is H.L. Quist, author, economic historian, investment ad, uh, advisor representative, at Dynamic Wealth Advisors, and has a lot of knowledge of economic cycles. He's written about them and studied them. Our topic today is what will 2015 bring? If you just tuned in, be sure to go back to the beginning of the show soon after we finish. The same link that you came in on will get you there. Now, HL, what happens to the major currencies and buying power if and when this occurs? It sounds like the U.S. dollar would would uh, uh, shrink dramatically in its buying power, uh, and, and, and potentially the renminbi grows. Boy, that changes the whole balance of trade. It does. It, 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 it's a game changer. And this is one thing our audience really needs to understand, because obviously with the, when this is initially announced, it could be very negative for the stock market and people wondering what in the heck is going on, what does devaluation of the dollar mean. And all you have to go back is study 1971 when Nixon devalued the, the, the U.S. dollar and what happened uh, in, the, in the 70s. And I, I'm... You know, the dollar, what we've lost, the 40% of, of the value of the dollar since 1970 when he took us off the gold standard. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, you know, you're looking at maybe a 20 30% uh, devaluation of the dollar. And you've got to understand the concept of monetary reset because the goal here is to inflate all asset classes, real estate, equities, and particularly precious metals, so that it creates equity. There's no equity in Europe today. I mean, that's the problem in the global economy. So by devaluing the dollar, they're going to create a uh, an equity, and then of course, then we can go right back into the same thing, refinance and so forth of of real estate. And uh, but that's what they want to do: create inflation of assets and 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 bail out the whole uh, existing system, which is now. Keynesianism and it's and it's obsolete. You know that's what Doctor Zhu says: is the system today is obsolete. Okay, now clearly the QE programs in the U.S. and I think that's what uh, Abenomics and and obviously Europe is now looking at uh, did bring up the asset values when it comes to the stock market. Very clearly, uh, lots of appreciation in the stock market. But how does this affect, uh, let's say, uh, precious metals? Is this the trigger that gets them to jump two or three or four hundred percent? Yes, uh, Rickard says uh, gold will be nineteen thousand uh, by the year two thousand nineteen. Uh, oh. Then government will confiscate all of it, uh, and you know that's that's kind of a uh, you know a pretty radical view. Uh, but I, I look at uh, gold going to oh you know six seven eight maybe ten thousand. My, my a friend of mine who's a really economist and he he talks about uh, the monetary reset. He says that. If you divide all of the monetary, the monetary base in the U.S. today 
uh, with the uh, the reported 8,000 tons that, that the Fed has, which I don't mm-hmm. agree with. But you come out with a roughly ten to twelve thousand dollars an ounce uh, with re reestablishing a monetary base with backing with gold. You see, mm-hmm. so. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but uh, we know what happened to the price of gold from 1974-75 to 1980. It went from $100 an ounce to $850 an ounce. And I think that we're going to see that again. And this is is probably the greatest profit-making, if this comes about, it's -hmm. probably the greatest money-making opportunity that we have in our lifetime. Okay, but let's look at the flip side, the uh, stock market. Uh, does this make uh, Harry Dent look like a genius? The stock market declines by 75%, and he says, see, I was right. Well, you know, Harry Dent, you know, he was right the first time in 1994 when he wrote about the boomer generation. And right. I, I met him, and I, I went to his seminar in 1994. Uh, but every every book he's written since, he's been wrong. And where he's wrong here is he says that we're going to go into a depression, and it's going to stay that mm-hmm. way. We're not going to recover. The Dow is going to go to 6,000, then it's going to go to 3,300, and gold's going to go down to 750 an ounce. And he doesn't call for any, uh, you know, I've got all of his seminar stuff here. A client of mine paid $150 for a two-day seminar uh, to find out that there's no hope. <laughs> you know, it's not going to improve. So uh, I think Harry is wrong. He could be right. I mean, uh, we could go into a a global depression and and not recover for years. But I don't think that uh, the banksters are going to let that happen. Okay. Now, wouldn't it be, you know, we're going to have a lot of chaos with with this kind of a change, especially as as buying power starts changing, the currency values jump around like crazy trying to find a a balance with this Mm -hmm. this SDR. Uh, Wouldn't that chaos be a a great time for the various countries to get together and say, let's cancel all of this sovereign debt uh, that's hanging out there so that the U.S.'s $17 can kind of magically go away because uh, all of a sudden we've reset some things? Well, I, I, I think their goal, uh, and it's always been that way historically, is that what the banksters want to do is, you know, remember, debt is a constant. The debt is okay. going to remain the same regardless of how that much the dollar devalues. What they want to do is create assets and, and pay back the, the constant dollar debt, if you will, or any debt, okay. with uh, cheaper dollars. That's the whole game plan, and that's what Keynesianism was about. But uh, that's Dr. Zhu's basically the underlying principle of, of his plan, too, is to pay back the existing debt with cheaper dollars. Okay, so those excess reserves will be handy uh, to, uh, to start uh, raising prices on everything. That's why I see the Dow just blowing right through 20000 uh, and and gold going to these levels. And real property values... You remember the 70s, uh, Ron, sure. here in, in Scottsdale and PV and so forth. Uh, we saw real property values go 2 and 300% mm-hmm. from 74, 75 to, uh, to 80. Yeah, See? no, so I agree. It's, 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 it's probably the biggest boom. And then, uh, of course, then we start talking about when the hell do you get out of Dodge? <laughs> because that's going to be a parabolic move that's going to end very badly. All right, this is somewhat, uh, you know, the apocalyptic scenario or, or, or almost like a black swan, although it's, it's, it's man-made uh, to, to a great extent. Um, what, you know, how do we hedge our portfolios for the, uh, uh, you know, the chaos that's happening in the meantime? 
Well, you know, we uh, all of us went through the two, 2008. I, I can't imagine it being much different than that. Cash okay. will be king. Uh, bonds were the best bet. Uh, U.S. Treasuries, my God, uh, uh, you know, interest rates when went from on the ten year went from five percent to below, right at two percent. Uh, you know, people who had thirty and forty percent returns in a bond portfolio. Uh, it, it, you're not going to be able to get that because yields today. I mean, the ten year just broke two sure. uh, percent. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to be the that's going to be the safe hedge uh, going forward. It'll be just uh, very similar to 2008. Hmm. So stick stick with bonds, basically, uh, or or any kind of fixed income, uh, which, uh, despite it not paying you anything, at least it's surviving. Right, and, and, and there was a fabulous return. And you know, I, one analyst is saying that uh, he sees the ten-year at one point three eight percent in Barron's uh, uh, this past weekend. One point three eight percent on the ten-year. So. Yeah, and I, I, oh, I keep wondering whether those those are possibilities. But uh, what investments would be the worst to own during this uh, uh, massive change? Well, obviously the small caps, uh, the high flyers, uh, the um, uh, you know the, with the high multiple equities, uh, certainly the bank stocks. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we saw Goldman uh, uh, Sachs go down sixty uh, percent. In 2008, 2009, before the recovery started, well, uh, Citibank so, went down 99. So that's you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, you know we, we've been there. <laughs> we've been there very recently, so mm-hmm. our memories should be uh, very much uh, with us. You know. All right, so we should be selling those uh, uh, banks, stocks, uh, let's say during upticks, if we get a chance to sell them at a little bit of a profit, uh, not necessarily buying more during the decline, same with small caps. Uh, Other things that you would be selling off gradually? Well, um, you know, just uh, the the equity portfolios, uh, particularly the speculative stocks, they're the ones that take the biggest hits. Uh, Technology take a big hit. Uh, I think it'll take a while for people to figure out uh, right. what this devaluation means. Uh, okay. Devaluation, the word sounds bad, but uh, for investments, uh, devaluation is 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 good. But it'll take, uh, you know, who knows how long it'll take the public to uh, to understand that. Okay, and emerging markets, I guess we have to throw on that list of the ones you don't well, want yeah, to Well, yeah, sure, certainly. Okay. Yeah. Would you suggest shorting any of those asset classes once uh, signals are in place that this is happening? Uh, I, I don't think, unless a person is a trader that really is uh, on the uh, on the on the computer on a daily basis, mm-hmm. uh, because it's very tricky. And uh, certainly, there are ETFs that uh, you can get on currencies, ETFs on ETFs on the dollar, uh, and but you've got to be aggressive, uh, and you've got to be very proactive. You've got to be an active trader in order to uh, take advantage of that. Okay, and um, with uh, you, you, you touched on a little bit real estate and physical assets, but it sounds like those would appreciate and would be good places to have money because they are uh, asset based and uh, not not tied to the specific currency. Well, yeah, and of course, you know, rental properties, uh, income properties, uh, as the dollar devalues, mm. uh, rents will go up dramatically. Uh, so real property is going to be a superb investment, uh, you know. But people have to understand that there could be a turmoil for uh, right. six months, a year, or whatever until, you know, just like it was in 2008, until people figure out what's going on. 
Yep. So you need the cash uh, reserves to make to manage those portfolios yeah, to make sure you can make your payments. Yeah, and the people that the people that really lost uh, out in 2008, of course, are those who were highly leveraged. You know, yep. that's that's always the killer. Is leverage is the killer. Okay. Uh, scary scenario, obviously, but it sounded like there briefly you were saying equities would end up significantly. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the 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 whole monetary reset concept is you you've got to create asset inflation and it's you know all GDP numbers all income numbers uh, personal income those are all going to be inflated uh, it's it's a whole new global monetary reset that's the game plan okay so let's say it happens sometime this year May June time frame maybe earlier. Uh, where do you think the equities would end the year? You had mentioned a twenty thousand. Was that a year-end number, or are you thinking uh, ultimately when the things when the air clears on this thing? Well, I I, I entered the Barrens. Uh, you know, I I was very close last year. <laughs> I picked eighteen thousand one fifty nine, and if it weren't for the three hundred point adjustment in the last three days of trading, I would have been right on the number on my Barrens <laughs> entry. But uh, I, I I put the number twenty one thousand one hundred one at the end of two thousand fifteen. That's probably gonna it's probably gonna take till two thousand sixteen. But I see this happening. I, I, I think that uh uh it's cooked in the books and uh all of the people are on board around the world that make the decisions, the people aren't gonna have anything to say about it. I mean it's it, it, you know, they when they make the decision it's gonna happen. Wow. The uh, with that, you know, I'm not going to do the math quickly enough, but you're looking at something like 17 or 18 percent increase uh, during this year, maybe year and a half in in the stock market. So, to some extent, despite a lot of uh, turmoil, probably a lot of, of fluctuations and volatility, uh, we could end up with a year that's even better than last year. Oh yes, oh yeah. I um, it's just a matter of timing. We don't know when this is going to be initiated. Uh, but uh, it could happen in the next 30 days or whatever. It could happen next year. But when it does happen, uh, after that adjustment period, then uh, then we're going to see a whole no- new ball game. Okay. I, you, hopefully you'll bear with me for a few extra minutes today. We're going to go ahead and extend the, the show. We left ourselves a gap after the show before the next one. Uh, now, if this does not happen in 2015, let's say it really takes five or ten years for them to get around to this, how do the financial markets perform? Do they have the seventh uh, year of strong performance because we're already uh, just about to close the sixth year in uh, in March? Uh, would that mean we'd have another strong year nonetheless, or would this year be a lot worse if this reset doesn't happen? Oh, I, I think it'd be a lot worse. I think that the, the things we've talked about are going to come to a head and emerging market debt and uh, uh, the oil markets and so forth. I, I, it's going to snowball. And okay. uh, unfortunately, if they don't have the plan ready and they don't initiate it, we're going to have a we're going to have a down year, in my opinion. All right. So and, until this thing happens, some of these other things, the equity, uh, the the emerging market, excuse me, the uh, banks uh, and, and, and others, uh, small caps, some of the technology, et cetera, could start declining. So we could see some decline in the beginning of the year, uh, let's say through uh, that May or June time frame or whenever this might happen. And at that point, uh, after a, again more a lot of volatility, you'd see then a, a huge uptick from from you know let's say it's down for ten percent or something like that by mid year. You could be looking at a thirty percent increase at that point. Oh yeah, I think this if this plan is implemented globally, I think that we're looking at it's a whole different ball game. 
and yeah, you have to be it. able to yeah you have to be able to think outside the box because uh you know we've been under this federal reserve system for 100 years mm-hmm. and it's now obsolete and it's going to change and people have to understand that yeah, some people say it was obsolete at the beginning, but uh, you know they obviously yeah. added a lot of confidence <laughs> right. uh, to, to the market. Uh, and enacting things like Glass-Steagall was a good idea. Getting rid of them may not have been. Instead, we're replacing. By the way, Glass-Steagall, as I recall, is like 39 pages. The the current writing of Dodd Frank, yeah, which yeah. isn't finished, is is over 35,000 pages. So yeah. uh, you know, typical, why, why the hell? Typical bureaucrats. I mean, it's oh, just man. it's yeah. And there was a feature in the Dodd Frank bill. Uh, in the uh, funding bill, the $1.1 trillion budget bill, mm-hmm. that they removed uh, the restrictions right. dealing with uh, uh, Dodd-Frank. They took that out to allow this to happen. So I, I think uh, they're paying, paving the way for this to become an event. Uh, interesting, because there was, and I, I didn't know a lot of the details. I haven't had a chance to research them. Critical, uh, a lot of controversy. critical paragraphs were removed from Dodd-Frank in the budget bill, and of course, yes. the public doesn't know doesn't know squat about that. Nothing of that's you know been made public knowledge. Wow. Okay. Let's remind our listeners how they'd uh, contact you and learn more about the MythBuster. And, and as you suggested, the best is HL. The letters HL Quist with a Q uh, would be the best way to do a search, whether using Bing or Google or whatever uh, search site. Uh, that's usually the best way to find your your uh, weekly blog. And that is in a podcast format, so you don't have to uh, do a lot of reading. You can listen uh, right. Sunday evening or Monday morning, which I haven't done yet. Uh, and then why don't you share your email one more time? Uh, HLQuist at Cox.net. Okay. And what I do with my people, Ron, is I give them an hour free uh, consultation on the phone or personally uh, to talk about their situation and uh, would decide if uh, you know I can do something for them. Uh, I'm on a fee basis only uh, uh-huh. on the amount of assets at, uh, in the market. And so I'd be happy to talk to any of your uh, people and anybody in the audience today and um, just have a conversation, if nothing else. Okay, so rather than trying to analyze and make all these decisions on their own, one of the options, of course, is to have you uh, manage it uh, in, in the way you'd be managing all of the portfolios that you're working on at that time. Well, I have I have a number of people that I finance, I manage a, um, a mm-hmm. small amount of their portfolio, and they leave the largest amount that they manage themselves. But they want my input, and they mm-hmm. want my knowledge and background and experience. So you know, I'm I'm receptive to that too. It depends on you know the person and the relationship we can establish. Okay. Now, we've covered a lot of aspects of uh, where we've been and where we're going. Are there some key ones you'd like to add or emphasize? You already have uh, me scared uh, shitless uh, in, in terms of well, the, the turmoil. Well, you shouldn't be scared, Ron. I mean, y- y- you know, knowledge is power, and, and that's yep. the thing we're trying to communicate to your audience is that once you know, it's it's being blindsided. It, it, look at look sure. back at the 2008 crash in the real estate market. Uh, you just couldn't tell people that you know start to lighten your portfolio and do these things they wouldn't even listen to you right but uh, that's what we're trying to do today is as uh, this should not be frightening it should be motivating it should motivate our audience to find out more and get prepared and take be able to seize the opportunity because that's what i said this year would be in my forecast uh, it would be volatility and opportunity and the volatility mm-hmm. we're experiencing as we speak. 
Yep, no, it definitely has ticked up dramatically over the last six years. I mean, the six years have been just like uh, so so dull uh, in a lot of ways in the in the volatility sense that uh, people have gotten uh, you know yeah no comatose. no correction over ten percent yeah no correction and, and over ten percent you know and even the ten percent I don't think was even reached uh, maybe once right. or twice in there but yeah, very very little in six yeah. years so volatility and opportunity would be the key words that we'd focus on that's correct. Right. All right. H.L., great having you on the show as usual. I suspect many of our listeners would be spending some time learning about the IMF, again, the International Monetary Fund, and researching some of the projects they're working on. Um, and I assume the book you refer to as the newest is indeed Death of Money by Rickards. That's that correct. That outlines a lot of this. Okay, so that would be a good Folks, book to put you've on. you've got to read that book. Okay. I'm an author. I'm an author, and I'm a historian. And I'll tell you, uh, it's, it's, it, the light will go on when you read that book. All right, and that's uh, you're not getting any royalties on that. I will no, let people no, know. I'm so just, it is strictly just, a, no, uh, I, absolutely not. I have no interest in that whatsoever. Exactly. Other than uh, being a topic, obviously very important, near and dear to your heart, uh, and and that's usually what we try to do is recommend some good reading, uh, get people away from the TV, and and read some of the good stuff out there because there are some very smart people putting some great things together. We just and it, it costs so little to read it compared to uh, living through a crisis. So uh, good, good to know that. And uh, I, in some ways, I kind of hope you're wrong. And on the other hand, if indeed uh, letting these crises fester is going to make it worse, then uh, let it be, and uh, we'll just prepare for it. And like, uh, like I said at the, the beginning, I guess I, I should feel comfortable that being wo- among the one or two or uh, three thousand, five thousand, ten thousand that are preparing for this will be way ahead of the seven billion other people that wondered what happened. So I guess we are prepared at that point. Well, I hope that people seize the opportunity at least to educate themselves because this is a this is a seminal event. Global seminal event. Uh I don't even think I don't even consider it a black swan. Black swans are very negative. This sure. is this is an opportunity. Although if you're betting on having a finding a black swan and you happen to find one it could be a big opportunity so you know it's 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 all how you play these games uh but great i appreciate that we'll be using that term seminal event i think uh, through the year and we'll also be um uh, you know taking taking odds i'm sure the uh, las vegas uh a group will start putting odds together on whether this happens or when it happens. And uh, let's see how it all shakes out. We will stay in tune with you throughout the year. Appreciate that. Ryan, you do an excellent job. I can't, I, you know, I, I do, I've done hundreds of interviews and you're by far the best. So uh, I appreciate being on your program. All right. Thanks, HL. We'll be talking okay. soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Well, I sure hope you, uh, Enjoyed today's show with HL Quest. Opened up your mind to tune in to some news and prepare for the unexpected. Yes, the show would be easier to listen to if we had guests that just told you last year's tens, trends will just continue, just like they told you that 2008 crash will continue, just just keep crashing, uh, just like they told you that the real estate market will not slow down because there's so much money out there. Remember our mission to share the fundamentals of investing and provide great ideas for building your wealth. And remember our goal to help you and one million other people become millionaires. And it's unlikely you or other listeners become wealthy if we provide you just what you want to hear or what the majority are touting. Keep in mind only 2 to 5% of the people will ever be wealthy, which means the majority are heading down the wrong path. They follow advice like hold and hope or don't worry your portfolio will eventually recover. 2015 will be a year just like 2014 
or trust your government to take care of you. At the beginning of the show, I wanted to make sure you heard about the many uh, prior predictions that H.L. Quist made and wrote books about. And uh, other big-name authors and futurists told you to stay out of the equity markets in 2008. Real estate, stay out of that. It'll be collapsing for many, many more years to come. Whose advice did you follow? Whose advice should you have followed? The one critique I've shared on the show about this, his forecasts, H.L. has admitted to, is he's often early to the dance, and maybe months or even years before his predictions are accurate. His response, the guys that show up early to the dance get all the pretty girls. And I have to agree, knowing there is a problem of 50% of solving it. Although if you invested heavily in precious metals, as I have over the last three years while prices declined, it can be painful as your portfolio underperforms, and it will test your patience and conviction. I keep assuming that what doesn't kill me really does make me stronger, and hopefully a smarter investor. Will H.L. Quist be right 100% of the time? No. And I shared a few of those examples. Obviously, something changes in the world constantly, and as the saying goes, the only constant is change. So you might want to do what I do, sign up for his weekly podcast, and stay in tune to the updates on those changes as they occur. Why should you care about forecasting? Let let me remind you, or just repeat that first quote I shared at the beginning of the show. My interest is in the future because I'm going to spend the rest of my life there by C.F. Kettering. Why should you pay attention to an economic historian like H.O. Quist, and what are his unique qualifications? The second quote was, the best qualification of a prophet is to have a good memory, like the Marquis, uh, this came from the Marquis of Halifax. Now, why do others miss the signals of major changes happening, like the housing banking crisis or the equity market crash suddenly reversing in March of 2009? The third quote shared was, some things are so unexpected that no one is prepared for them. Leo Rostin in Rome wasn't burned in a day. Now, if you missed part of today's show, the link in the announcement will take you to the archive version. And, of course, you'll find the full list of past shows on WealthDNA.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together this show. Incidentally, they're actively searching for additional houses in the Phoenix area, often paying a premium and sellers can avoid realtor commissions. Now, the next Wealth DNA Radio Show, let's try that in English. Next Wealth DNA Radio Show will be the fourth Monday of January. That's Monday, January 26th, 9 a.m. Arizona time, same place, same time. Our guest for that show has not yet been confirmed. We have the next few in February confirmed. And we may decide to focus on New Year's resolutions and some tips for 2015, obviously, on the financial side. We always have the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have any comments or questions, you haven't received my emails, reminding you about the show, or just send an email to ron at WealthDNA.us, or follow The Ronald, all one word, on Facebook or Twitter. Twitter. Hmm. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing and preparing for the unexpected. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com.
To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs>